On today's episode of Baseball Podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into hitting analytics with our OG hitting instructor, Rick Strickland. Rick's been with us for a few years now, and he's one of the guys that we've leaned on heavy when building out these products, as we know he has an eye for technology and how to incorporate it with his training of players of all levels. We hope you enjoy this and stay tuned for a lot of hitting knowledge brought to you by Rick and the Rapsodo Baseball Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Rapsodo Baseball Podcast. Today we're excited. We have one of the OGs Rapsodo users uh, with Rick Strickland. Rick has been a guy that's been with us and using the technology from pitching 1.0 all the way back into the days when we were beta testing it, moved into being one of our main hitting uh, kind of advisors and instructors that uses it as well. So, Rick, man, I appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks for joining us. And, man, honestly, we're just excited to talk some hitting with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rick. It was a long time coming getting you on the uh, the podcast. Uh, I thought a cool place to start is you obviously have a, a great pro ball uh, background, you know, with playing and then also coaching as long as you have with professional baseball, professional athletes. You might just kind of given, you know, a little bit of a, a background on kind of your your journey through pro ball and kind of what you do today with uh, with with your uh, athletes. Well, it was it was uh, an interesting journey. You know, I played pro ball way back in uh, played uh, up to double A was done in 93 and uh, started my coaching journey after that really kind of dove into to training athletes and, and and coaching on the field, doing those things. And then somewhere around 2006, met a guy named Perry Husbands, who, who was the original OG, OG of the uh, technology world, he introduced me to some golf launch monitors. And I started putting those in the cage back in the mid-2000s. And it turned out that I had four kids that ended up playing the big leagues, at the, uh, who were my test subjects back in 2006, Ashy, Cody Ashy, Jake Odorizzi, Nate Orff. And we had a lot of success being able to uh, – look at exit speeds and launch angles and things like that. And over time, we dove off into some other things, biomechanics, things of that nature, started working with some players and some agents who had some players. And, you know, word got out that we were trying to do some cutting edge stuff on the recruiting, uh, on, the, on the training side. And then the Cardinals found me back in uh, 2016. And I think I was working with Matt Adams at the time, asked me to join forces with them to kind of help introduce them to, uh, how you use this technology and in um, and in training and player development, and that turned into uh, uh, a one-year deal with the Texas Rangers back in nineteen, and, and then the uh, pandemic hit. Now back back in St. Louis, working with the youngsters again. You know, Rick, so, we mentioned hooking up with you early on and getting with the pitching side. Uh, one of the things that I was always, uh, you know, something that we always really didn't take for granted is your ability and willingness to try out new tech. You know, you're a guy in the in the industry that, you know, you have built this name as being, you know, one of the premier hitting instructors, but also definitely a name of a guy that's synonymous with using technology, trying new things, seeing what's best, and then incorporating those within your teaching tactics and techniques. And you mentioned, you know, your playing days were in your words way back when. I won't ask you exactly when, but when we when you talk about it, I know that wasn't available for you as a player. Uh, and now knowing that it's so prolific in how you train, you know, what was that like thing for you that really got you into the technology? Were you always into tech? Was this something that was like a natural progression? Because there's a lot of guys that didn't use the technology when they played and it's a slower transition maybe for them to start using that technology as they transition into the coaching world. Well, about 2005 or six, um, I had a, a Perry husband's 
over at Effective Velocity had sent uh, encouraged me to 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 get a Velocity machine, which was an old golf launch monitor that had this little piece of metal thing that we sat on the floor, and I bought one and, and put it out there in the cage, and it just really changed the whole complexion of training the athlete because now we had some data. Uh, exit speeds in particular and estimated distance and things like that. And so the training environment became a lot more competitive, you know, in baseball practice or even in the lesson business at this point in time, you go in there, guy sits on the bucket, got his phone in his hand, he's flipping balls at kids, you know, it's nice swing, nice swing, nice swing. But here we had some data that basically said, okay, we're just going to go in a cage. We're going to swing the hell out of it and see how hard we can hit it. And so the kids would go in there and the, the training sessions would become competitive, really competitive. And we started to see a, a correlation. These kids really, um, when the spring happened, two things we, we, we noticed is that they were hitting a lot more home runs and they were actually throwing harder because we were working on speed and, and, and being able to go from slow to fast really quickly. So we saw a lot of correlations in, in the data was actually pushing us there. And this was the, 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 the beginning of it. And since that time, you know, technology has gotten a lot, lot better. So I've always been looking for ways to um, talk technology made sense, ways for actually being able to teach my players uh, uh, to acquire that skill quicker and quicker and quicker. Uh, and so that's really what we, what we really kind of dive in, why I've been openly uh, uh, able to embrace new technologies as they come out on, on the, uh, on the market. Yeah, Rick. And, and one thing I think that you, you do a great job of is when you have a player uh, that you're working with over a period of time, uh, you're great about going into the report with them and showing them the why. Uh, you know, you have the live on live where you can work on the swing, give feedback, um, but then allow that player to really digest it by breaking down the data and the reports. We're talking about this technology of, you know, there's all the uh, different technology and things to measure. Um, well, I think the report aspect is a big part of that. And you and I discussed this a lot. Uh, I would love to dive into that a little bit about what does that progress look like for you after a, a session and, um, you know, going through the Rapsodo data with the player and how important do you think that is for them to digest that and really start connecting some dots with their swing? Well, you, you know, we, uh, we were looking at the data basically as I look at the data now, especially when you get a new player as uh an x-ray or a fingerprint, you know, we can go into biomechanics stuff later on, but just looking at the ball, and this happened to me in 2019. In 2019, I was trying to impress upon a lot of coaches who were old school guys when I was with the Rangers about how you could actually, we, we had machines all on the field, guys were hitting, and I'm, to myself, I'm thinking about um, how do we know if the kids are actually getting better? Well, we were sitting there collecting the information on Rapsodo. We are collecting it every day. I said, there's got to be a way to look at this information to give us a, a, an idea of what's going on uh, with, with the players. So this is before even Rapsco came out. I created, me and uh, another gentleman created a little spreadsheet that actually kind of gave us some, some ideas about the consistencies of the swing. And then I looked at what they were doing end game. And we found out that the things that they were doing in game, they were actually doing in practice. But people weren't really kind of making a correlation. So then the big light bulb went off. And, and that is that, the data is telling us a story about that player, right? Some of the stuff that we see is low-hanging fruit, right? Well, kid has low exit speeds, especially when you're dealing with amateur players. Maybe we should work on power and force production and things like that so we can get them to hit the ball harder. But one of the things that really jumped out at me is about the best players were really consistent at striking the ball, no matter what format you put them in. 
whether it was, and when I'm talking about striking the ball, I'm not talking about striking it on the ground. I'm talking about consistency of hitting balls at a certain launch angle, whatever. So if you flip the ball to them, they hit it extra speed launch angle. If you soft toss to them over the top, they the ball looked the same. If you put the machine on them, they were probably more likely to hit the ball harder on a consistent basis. And so what that was telling us, the data, when you look at it from that angle, like, holy smoke, you can tell a lot about the players. So what we are looking for in the data in the reports is really consistency, right? Um, and more importantly, what pitches not to swing at, right? Right. Because what it's also telling us too is there's certain parts of the zone you don't do very well with. And unfortunately for base for hitters, they think they can hit everything. Well, they can, but the reality of it is if they put certain balls in play, it's not gonna look very good. And as you move up the ladder, and how we, we tell them is that even if we, we're trying to practice hitting balls in certain areas, we can make some improvements with them. But ultimately, that ball that they look at that you hit in an area that you're not very good at is never going to look as good as the ball that you're really good at. So we're teaching the guys from the, the batted ball data, you know, how to be what really is their A swing and those types of things like that. So that's what we're really looking for in the data is consistency. Where are you most likely to be consistent? Rick, one of the things that we talk about with a lot of hitting people is just that the amount of data that comes off is often viewed as, you know, there's just less volume of it from the pitching side. Pitching, there's a lot more data points. Hitting, when you ask somebody, you know, hey, in your session, what are you focused on? What are you keen on? It's usually what you just mentioned, and a lot of people come back with it's exit velocity, it's the launch angle, make sure you're in a range there. And then sometimes even exit direction if we're working on specific pitches uh, in the zone or what that may be. One of the things that episode also provides is going to be the batted ball spin and spin axis. Uh, and that's something you and I have had a conversation on before, which I've always enjoyed kind of understanding your point of view on that, where by knowing what somebody's batted ball spin, not only spin rate, but also the spin axis is, that tells you about what that bat is doing kind of at the point of contact. Can you go into that a little bit and understand like how you'll help kind of diagnose maybe even mechanical issues and what happens within a swing um, just by looking at the output data from that spin? Yeah. So the spin is like, like is like really critical to understanding who can square balls up and who can't. I mean, the old school guys will say, you got to spin the ball, to hit the ball out of, out of the park. Well, I will tell you that facing guys who throw 95 miles an hour as a hitter, trying to figure out I'm going to pull a swing out of a club <laughs> out and try to put a swing on that's going to produce X amount of spin is going to end up having you um, go into a situation where you're going to miss a lot of balls. And so we know that, you know, a well-struck ball is going to spin a certain way. Uh, it's going to have more of a true spin. It's probably not going to have a lot of side spin. Not that those don't work. They, they do. Um, uh, but we find out guys who spin the ball the most probably have the worst, worst swing especially in a practice environment. The reason why I say that is the practice environment usually is not as hard as a game environment. And if I can't square ball up with, with not no spin, but lower amounts of spin, then it tells me it's probably some, some, some things that probably I need to be aware of in my particular swing. If I'm a hitter that's swinging the bat and I'm having a lot of spin that's spinning to the opposite direction, right-hand hitter ball spinning to the right side of the, 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 the field, Chances are I'm probably got a swing where the, 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 the horizontal angle, the forward and back angle of the bat is probably trailing the hands uh, at the contact zone, right? If that pitch is on the inside part of the plate and you're spinning balls to the opposite field, which is what I was taught a long time ago, you're going to have to really be an exceptional person to actually 
play at a high level, being able to do that. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. There's always um, uh, the, the exceptions that can do it. But most of the time, if you hit an inside pitch, the ball needs to spin, spin a different direction. So I'm looking at location, how kids actually spinning the ball. And it's not giving me some information about what you could actually look for on the biomechanical uh, stand, standpoints with that. You see guys with a lot of top spin, of course, you know, those guys are going to more likely hit the ball on uh, the ground, but that's not necessarily a an indication that the kid has a bad swing. We've seen guys who have really a lot of vertical lift in their swing actually top spin a lot of balls because they're moving the bat up and they hit the top half of the ball, which is causing it to come down. But those guys also have a low amount of spin too. So the spin profile looking at that is like critical. And that's really one of the reasons why I started using Rapsodo uh, religiously in our sessions is that, you know, the contact quality, not just even if a guy has low exit speed, if he has got a really good spin profile, you can tell a lot about that player. Yeah, Rick, I really like the way you talk through that because that is, as Seth said, in baseball and the hitting side, you hear a lot of exit velocity, you hear a lot of launch angle. But I think you just described that really well um, to where for our listeners and hitting coaches is if a player does hit a low spin rate that you just talked through, we know he's barreling the ball up um, because that is going to be on plane, catching the center of the ball and probably on the same plane that ball's coming in the barrel uh, to be able to get center center contact. Uh, to be able to get, you know, the 400 RPMs, the 500 RPMs, where all baseball people uh, know you see that knuckle action uh, that kind of knuckles into the outfield or whatever the launch angle is. Um, but you also make the point that you know, hitting a 95-mile-per-hour fastball is not easy. So if you're training and, you know, being able to hit the center, hit the center, hit the center of the ball, and then, you know, you miss just below center, then that could be a miss that turns into a 2,500 RPM um, ball that's going to carry just by being, you know, just below center. Um, so I love that you talked through that, how important spin rate is um, because, you know, it can range. It's it's a wide range on the hitting side from, you know, zero complete knuckle to 3000 plus when a ball is hit at the, the bottom, you know, or the top of the ball to create a lot of uh, top spin or backspin. I love the way you talk through that and the importance you put on, you know, low spin rate and, and solid contact. I think that's a great place to start. Yeah, and all those things have to work together, man. It's just like you, if you go look at some of the MLB games, you'll see balls hit 100 miles an hour that doesn't go anywhere because the spin spin on the ball is too high. So the ball, so the spin's actually working against the hitter uh, in that regard. So there's, to me, I call it, it's an art of hitting, which is one, but there's also an art to, to ball striking. You know, your best ball strikers are going to be, however you measure the categories, especially consistency categories, they're going to usually be at the top of, of how you measure them. those guys who can, who can, who can strike the ball uh, more consistently that way. So we talked about the kids in the, in the academy being excellent ball strikers more than anything else. Yeah, I remember uh, this was probably a year or two ago before the pandemic when uh, you would come in and do some training. It was some of the pro guys, you know, Matt Adams and others that you just mentioned. And we were just kind of chatting in the back one time. And one of the guys mentioned what he's always looking for is in these type of training sessions where it is, you know, a coach throwing or, you know, normal BP settings. Uh, they're really overemphasizing uh, the amount of uh, as little spin as possible, just like you mentioned. And one of the reasons that they said that is because what they're facing in that environment right there is not a real representation of what they're going to face on game day, right? That ball is going to be 
30 miles an hour faster and you know the distance is going to be a little bit further back and there's going to be probably more spin on it and to create that and so much of the league is having that riding spin with the fastball creating more vertical lift um, for that so in their head what they said is that if i hit zero zero basically um coming out of the box uh you know in a practice setting to where i really don't have any spin or as little spin as possible and i'm squaring the ball up still hitting at the launch angle that i want but but squaring the ball up then what that tells me is that on game day, if I kind of have that same rhythm and the same mechanics and the same, you know, eye line and sight that I'm used to hitting a baseball at, I may miss just slightly under the ball, but that's going to create good positive spin to where if I'm training my body to do, you know, 2000 RPMs, then I miss that ball on game day. Well, then I'm going to create way more spin and less exit velocity and that ball is going to be a pop out. So that was interesting to me. I had not really thought about it from that perspective, but obviously those guys are such an elite level. You know, is that something that you think about when you're training with, with your athletes as well, or does it just translate into you make it simple for them and it's, Hey, in here, we're trying to get as little spin as possible. And then you know that that's going to translate better for them into the game environments. Yeah. It's funny, man. I've, I've been doing all this, this stuff on my own. You deal with young kids, you know, usually the, <laughs> the, uh, uh, showcase circuit kind of dictates what metrics are important to the kid, right? Exit speed, your launch angle. And, and so kids don't get down to the, the nitty gritty of what's really becoming uh, a really good because showcase people don't know what that is either. So <laughs> you're always battling with those guys about the kids about like, listen, I understand that you hit this 90 mile an hour, 95 mile an hour uh, ball, and it's going to look good when you go to an event and they got you hitting off a tee and you hit on the ground. What is the that you have some strength? But that thing is spinning at 4,000 RPMs on the ground and your chance. And that's not the ball that we really want to celebrate. We want to celebrate that ball that we hit at 95. That is a line drive over the infield. So we still have work to do. That's one of the things I like about the rap score uh, is that, you know, even though you don't dive deeper into that stuff like that, if a guy hits 100 balls on the ground, I mean, 15 balls on the ground at 100 miles an hour, you can get a decent score. But he's not going to be perfect <laughs> with that score because it's going it's to penalize him a little bit from not being able to hit that hundred mile hour ball with some with some launches and things like that. And so those are the things that we're talking to the kids about. Yeah, we want to have the right amount of uh, we want to have as much power as we can. Don't get don't get me wrong, but if we our power is saying that we have to hit this ball at hundred miles an hour, it's more likely to be on the ground, and I should hit a ball at ninety miles an hour, and I'm going to have more OPS or more slugging with that ball. Let's hit more balls at 90 and figure out how to get that 90 to climb to 100 miles an hour at the same launch angle. So we're talking to the kids about a lot of different things. We're talking about the exit speed. We're talking about the launch. We're talking about the spin. We're talking about the direction as well. That's a really good point, Rick, that when you create that high exit velocity, the easiest way to do that is the zero zero point you mentioned to where that launch angle zero, like a line drive, you know, right back at the L screen that, that possibly could even be fielded by the, the pitcher um, uh, to where it's, you know, not utilizing the whole field. One thing Seth and I talk about a lot, we cover it, you know, in our certifications is like understanding really the full field. You know, we're in St. Louis, we get the, you know, a, a long time with the spring, summer and fall to be outside, but you have to do a lot of cage training in the winter with your athletes being in St. Louis. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious with one thing we really try to do at Rapsodo is on the UI, obviously you can see the full field. And it's funny, we can sometimes look at reports and be able to say, hey, that kid was probably hitting in a cage because all the scatter plot of balls on the field are just all up the middle. 
you know, in the outfield at around second base because you hear, you know, hit the back of the cage, hit the back of the cage. Um, and I know a new thing too, that you've uh, been utilizing our game mode where it really shows guys how hard it is to hit, you know, in a ballpark like Fenway. Um, but how much does that go into your training when you, do you do a lot with using the UI to hit the opposite side of the field and like really utilizing uh, more than just the batting cage, but more of the end game, you know, what they're actually going to translate to in a game. Well, I'll tell you one thing, and, and hitting coaches in America will be mad when I say this, but we never practice hitting the ball the other way. <laughs> we just don't. I mean, it's just like guys are throwing too hard right now to be trying to sit the, to sit back and hit the hard ball the other way. I think kids will hit the ball the other way by virtue of taking a good swing. So we don't practice that. We we call opposite field for us um, um, the, to the opposite field gap to the foul line. I threw it out there, some smart guys out there, and they have it. They haven't um, um, uh, corrected me or or beat me up on, about this, but I saw some things in, on uh, in, in, in earlier this year where Mike Trout had had increased the whole his swing and increase. But they said he was pulling the ball more, and I just think from a physics standpoint that the center of mass of the bat's inside the tip of the end of it, right? So you actually need to get it square to the to the pitch that's coming in uh, to the plate, especially for a guy who doesn't have like Aaron Judge power. You know, kids like that or the Rangers have a kid named Sam Huff who hit it over 100, over 120 miles an hour. Well, for those guys, it's just hit the ball wherever, right? Wherever you can hit it, right? Your power says that there's going to be damage to the up to the fields. But if we're teaching kids to hit the ball hard, it's usually going to be to you know from not to that 45 degree angle to the opposite side. It's going to be more towards the gap, towards the line. So that's how how we actually look look at it. One of the ways we look at in the game, the game mode is like tremendous. We've literally had kids screaming at the game because it's set so hard at <laughs> the major league levels. And so kid will hit a ball 90 miles an hour, uh, and he, he, I crushed that ball. It's an out. <laughs> I go, well, you just have to get a little bit stronger, or you, you're probably going to have to push that thing down the line and not hit it to center field. Because remember, we're playing on big league fields, and, and, and the data inside the game mode is really kind of, pushing it more towards as real as it possibly can be about rewarding these guys for balls that they, they, they hit on a big league field. So that becomes really real. I remember working with one of the softball uh, fast pitch players, kid girl was going to Auburn and we were looking at, you know, we're talking about how we, I felt like the ball was being sliced and uh, it was hit hard, but I said, man, we, we might be losing some carry or gaining carry. Just watch, you know, the, the, the lines on the field and watch where the ball should have gone to where it actually went. And she's like, ah, right. So I said, we want to hit that. If you hit it truer, it's going to be closer to that, to the lines. That's one of the things that we, we like to look at, to look at, to teach the kids about ball flight and contact quality, how the balls actually uh, can, can fade or hook or slice or whatever it is like that. So that, that's kind of how we kind of explain it to the, to the players. Rick, you know, you brought up the game mode. So those that don't know from a listener standpoint, that's our new kind of hidden gamification uh, software add-on that comes on top of it. So the traditional Rapsodo UI is essentially just results oriented and it basically you can see the ball fly, gives you the data. And now with game mode, it adds in, you know, there's home run derby. There's other games that are coming out that uh, that you'll get an option, an opportunity to see here with like almost target practice, uh, working on kind of hitting the ball different sides of the field and also putting some scoring uh, into just normal batting practice. Again, to your point, Rick, 
really trying to create a competitive environment when in rewarding those solid, consistent hits um, that happen. That's one of the things that we're excited um, to get out. And you're, you're exactly right. We're taking real game results uh, and putting that into the data uh, so we can see where the ball is going to be. And we've heard that kind of from a lot of different coaches that have been trying this. That one, it's nice from a realistic standpoint, guys really know what they're doing. And then two, you know, being able to be inside, because, you know, let's face it here in St. Louis, other parts of the country that are Northern, it's just hard to recreate that game-like environment uh, from a hitting standpoint. You know, I remember BP and I went to the same school in Indy uh, and we're inside, you know, pretty much until you walk outside to your first game. Uh, And that's just a tough way to go from a a preseason standpoint. And this allows you to have a little bit more competitiveness, also be able to see what the ball is actually doing uh, on the field. And that's something that uh, hopefully we're going to see some pretty good returns with. Everything we do at Rapsoda is always around player development. That's kind of our big focus. And this is a way to, yeah, it's entertaining, but at the end of the day, there's always going to be that player development focus to it. Uh, So it's exciting for us to kind of get that out and get into people's hands. So uh, I appreciate you bringing it up. That's one of the new things we have coming out that that we're pretty excited about. There should be. I, I, uh, I get real fired up about it. So I'll shoot you via text. Hey man, this is crazy because I've got one particular play. I think about it all the time. Like everything he hits looks like it's a, on a game mode. It's a hit. I mean, whether it's 90 miles an hour or 78 miles an hour, it's a hit. And when I was telling a kid that was going to coach him, I said, everything he puts in play is a hit, right? If he doesn't hit on the ground, it's a base hit. And he called, he called me back and made it right. I said, if he gets jammed, it's a hit. If he hits a line drive, it's a hit. Everything, the contact quality of what this kid puts in play is hit. Now, I think it's, you know, if if the if college coaches, if they dive into what this game mode is really telling them, and you can dive into the data, you're gonna find some kids that when you go out and see them on the field and you see what they do, you look at this rap photo data, and it's going to tell them that what you saw in the game is what they actually do because you only get maybe a hundred or two hundred bats in the summertime. Well, these kids can take thousands of bats. And I can tell you this one particular, particular kid that I'm thinking about, his practice profile is exactly the way he does it in a game, exactly the way he, way he hits it in a game. Yeah, that's awesome. That's the idea. Uh, you know, kind of Seth said is the idea of giving them that as game-like experience as possible, you know, in the cage as Seth talked through, as we talked through. Um, but, yeah, that, absolutely the idea to see how that would play. Um, and Rick, you, this is going a bit back, but something I, that you mentioned um, that I do want to touch on again is I think the, the, also the importance of those zones you talked about, you know, in the back into the report, being able to see, hey, what part, what quadrant of the zone are you hitting a high exit velocity? What quadrant are you hitting, um, you know, uh, launch angle or, you know, the top three quadrants of the zone? Are they really high? You're not getting to, you know, that high pitch. Um, but then you've got, you know, a game mode and being able to pair how that ball is actually going on the field with spin also being included. Really at Rapsodo, we just try to provide all the data possible for most game-like experience possible. And I think with, you know, what the guys have created with game mode is about as close as that can get. So, yeah, like like Seth said, we're really excited about it and, you know, happy to hear that you guys are utilizing it. Um, and, Rick, have you, have you hit any bombs yet yourself in there? No, man, I'm too old for that. <laughs> now. I, I do that one time, one time too many. I'll be in the PT's office fixing something, but. Every now and then I'll step in the cage off the machine when the kids are having problems with it, talking about the machine is broke. I'll get an ass. I got 53 year old eyes right here. I can, I, I can, I can see, I can't even see, but I can hit this machine and it's just marvels. The kids get, get all uh, crazy about it and, 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 you know, they get excited about being able to do it. I have no power. 
but uh, the, the ability to take in, you know, 20, 30 years worth of swings in the past, I don't think you, you really kind of lose that flair for it. I think you bring some older guys in here that played for a while and they can still still swing it fairly well and do, you know, almost as good, if not better than the other guys, just not the power profile. That's awesome. Sometimes old man's got to get in there and show him how it's done a little bit. I like it. Uh, you know, Rick, one of the things that I think the listeners and really just anybody that's coaching youth athletes uh, can take away from this. We see it a lot. Brian and I, when we talk with individual coaches is sometimes there's this fear of integrating technology too like too early to players uh, or even having that sort of paralysis by analysis, that, that old jargon that, that comes out with, you know, there's a lot of different technologies, whether it's kinematics related, ball flight related, bat related, you know, things that tell us a lot about it. How do you balance that as you work with these youth athletes? You know, is it just on you to decide how much you're telling them, but the more data you can collect as a coach, the more you know and the more informed? Or, or how do you kind of balance that? You know, a couple of things about that first of all, the, the kids nowadays everything's tech, you know, through technology. Just gone through it, gone through a pandemic. Kids are learning using technology right now, so they're, they're more apt to be able to deal with technology than their parents. So, I, I to, to this point, you know, some of these kids are coming in here and, and telling me about some things that, that I'm underutilizing tech. That's one. The other thing you'll, you'll find out is really based on the individual uh, player. Like, I have one kid, I had a class with you kids. The one kid, the two kids are 11. Well, one kid, I'm not going to talk hardly anything about the tech. The other kid really embraces it. He loves it uh, about that. So we'll feed him a little bit more. But what we try to do with the reports is not to try to get into terms about, you know, maybe we may talk about and teach him what standard deviation actually is because we have to explain that metric to them that they're really consistent. But we're trying to score it uh, in a grade format, you know, so that they understand that they're doing good or they're doing poorly. That's just basically basically what what they what we're trying to teach them as far as technology. They understand exit speeds for the most part. Um, we need to teach about when launch angle is good or when launch angle is bad. But a lot of times we're just collecting data and we only go over it like once a month with them. We don't really go over it on a day to day basis. We use it the technology for game mode, and sometimes in game mode they may be um, when they look at the technology they may be focusing on something that that's something I'm not even focused on, but I don't say anything about it until we have those meetings where we're going to go over all the technology, all of the data uh, over uh, an extended period of time to see how they pro- progress that way. Uh, or we'll say, uh, you know, there's a target in the cage. We want you to make sure you kind of stay in that, that range with the target. That's, that's kind of what we look at. Uh, but I'm not really pounding every individual kid. Uh, in the head with it, or you can see a kid that's struggling a little bit, right? He's doing well, but then all of a sudden, uh, with the launch angle, we pop one up 45 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, three pitches in, he's still focused on the 45 degree thing and not understanding that out of the 10 swings, there was only one at 45 degrees. Let's not focus on that. So, we're trying to get these guys to continue not to get locked too hard in the technology, but also understand it over a longer period of time, not short term. I like that. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, pretty much everything in balance there a little bit. And I think as a coach, uh, you know, I guess that at the end of the end of the day is our job to kind of understand what's going to be best for each player. Same thing a teacher does, right? With developing individual plans, same thing that a coach and a trainer is doing. Uh, so, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. 
I think the most important thing that we can get out of it is like you, you know, you're educating yourself. You know, I know you were in there learning about it um, the moment that we had this thing out there. And I think that's a great takeaway. And uh, we appreciate you coming on and appreciate all the kind of insight and wisdom and that you're able to kind of drop on us. And especially for the hitting uh, coaches and trainers and listeners that are out there to be able to understand uh, and, and really dive in and understand your approach and hopefully be able to take something away. We appreciate that. We appreciate the relationship that we've had with you over so many years and look forward to continuing it. And uh, thanks for coming on and joining us. All fired up. Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks for listening all the way through to their episode of Baseball Podcast. Before you go, we wanted to let you know about a new program that we're launching, Rapsodo University. I'm sure you've seen it in the news with the NIL stuff that's coming out from college sports, and we're excited to get to be a part of that move, movement and effort um, that's going on with the youth athletes of the day. So we're going to be launching this program to try to attract different college athletes uh, across the board, really. We're interested in finding athletes um, that represent the Repsoto brand well. So whether you're D3, whether you're JUCO, whether you're NAIA or D1 stud, we want to talk to you. This is something that we're going to be pushing out in order to develop new content in order to get the brand of Repsoto out there, and hopefully in a way that we can help bring some light to the awesome college athletics that are going on across the country. If you're interested or you know someone who is, please pass along the information. You can follow us on socials with Repsoto Baseball, and you can figure out how to find out the form and then also go and, and share that with anyone you think would be a good candidate to represent Repsoto as a Repsoto University candidate. Thanks again for listening to the Repsoto Baseball Podcast.